0: What do we do when all the world is turning against God? Well, we lift up our head and look to God who is the, the maker of all things and on whom we can in whom we can put our confidence. And uh, that's what Psalm three is all about. And uh you can be reminded about that in song. It's good to be able to do that. Well this morning we want to continue our study uh of what the Bible has to say about missions. And specifically, we want to see what the role of the local church is in missions. Uh, if we have a responsibility to send out people for the sake of, God's, uh, of Christ's name, then, then what, is our, what is that responsibility? What, it, what is it that we are supposed to be doing? So that's what we want to give our attention to this morning. So let's begin with the word of prayer, and uh, we'll get into the material. Father, we're thankful that You are the lifter of our heads, that You uh, give us hope and confidence when our foes are against us. And uh, we're thankful for psalms like this in which we can be reminded of Your mercy and reminded of what is ultimately of importance. Lord, help us to have our focus uh, uh, fixed on You as it ought to be. And Lord, as a church, we want to honor You and how we... uh, Teach uh, all that Christ has commanded us, and how we spread that teaching to all the nations. So help us this morning as we think about missions. May we understand properly our role and um, be very faithful in in um, in supporting our missionaries in sending and overseeing and in helping and whatever way that we can be a part of their work. May you help us to do it with all of our hearts and to do it with love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's begin with the uh, question. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and after speaking to these two men, he comes and meets with his disciples after His resurrection, of course. Luke chapter 24. And we want to answer the question, to whom was God's missionary commission given? Who who had the responsibility of carrying out the missionary endeavor that Jesus gave? So let's read verses 33 to 48. And we we'll, we start to get a glimpse of what The purpose of Jesus' resurrection is what's supposed to happen now that His resurrection is accomplished. And and we see that here in these verses. Verse 33, And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered the eleven and those who were with them. speaking of the two men on the road to Emmaus. They found the eleven disciples, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. "...touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have." And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, "...have you anything here to eat?" They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, "...these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law..." of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. (coughs) So, Jesus appears to the eleven and these other two men, um, who were on the road to Emmaus with him. And uh, they just can't believe it. They think it's some kind of a ghost or spirit. It reminds me of the story of Peter when he's freed from jail. The the believers are there praying. I think it's at Jason's house. And they're praying, and and um, who knocks on the door but Peter himself. And the servant girl can't believe it. She closes the door on him and heads back to tell them. and Of course, they can't believe it, and, and um, finally they let him in. And he shows them that he is not a spirit; he's not a ghost um he is he is actually uh, freed from prison by the spirit himself and the 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 disciples you can imagine their disdain or their frustration since the time of christ's death because all throughout the Old Testament, the promise was that the Christ would reign that he would be the ruler that he would free Israel from its oppression uh that it was facing from from the um, the people who are over them at this time it was the Roman Empire, and so when Jesus comes, they're expecting you know they see him ride on a donkey, he's going to be triumphant, and this is showing that he's going to to have the victory, and then something changes. Uh, Jesus starts to tell them that, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, and, be, and they don't understand this. Peter remember says, "Let this never happen to you, Jesus in, in your reading this week in Matthew you're following along with the schedule that we're reading as a church, you came across that passage and Peter said, no, this, let this never be. Okay, God forbid that this would ever happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is exactly what's going to happen. And when he finally dies, they're just devastated that their coming ruler has, has died and he hasn't come to reign as king. And for three days they reflect on this. And then they hear reports that he's been raised from the dead, that he now lives. And that he's appeared to a few people, and now they get to see him for themselves. But they're so overwhelmed by joy and amazement that they, they can't hardly believe that he's there. So he says, first, in order to show that it is it is, it is the resurrected Lord, that it is he, he shows them the, the nail prints and the, the the scar from the spear that was put in his side, and they... They see that. And then he asks for something to eat. Ghosts, of course, spirits can't eat. Uh, they're, they're spirits. So um, so he eats. And, and as he does this, he, he gives them some instructions. And the instructions are what we want to give our attention to. And that is beginning in verse 46. Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer. So all this devastation that there's been, you need to recognize that this actually was promised in the Old Testament. You just kind of glazed over that part Isaiah 53 that that God was going to be pleased to crush this son the, the Messiah that the Christ would suffer and then he would die and he would be raised from the dead and that and here's here's how this is important for us for the disciples and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem and you are witnesses witnesses of these things So, here's Jesus' point in all this. I have died. I have been resurrected, just as the Old Testament has said. And there has been a prophecy that that has come out that that has said that, that this will be preached to the nations. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are going to be those witnesses. So, the missionary commission is given initially to the disciples who would make up the early church these 11 disciples are the ones who would actually begin this church movement which is going to happen in acts chapter 2 all right so let's think about um let's think about the chain of sending uh turn to john well let's let's say Let's stay here. Well, someone turn to John 3.17. We're going to come to, back to Luke 24. Paul, John 3.17. The first is that God sends His Son. Go ahead. Okay. So this actually comes in a negative statement. God did not send the Son to condemn the world, but to save or to to rescue, to deliver the world through Him. That is, through His life and death. So the positive statement that we can take out of this is that God sent His Son into the world not to condemn Him, but to, to save the world through Him. So the first part, link, we could say, of the chain of sending is from God to the Son. And the second, as we can imagine... Is from the Son to the Spirit. Look at chapter twenty-four of Luke and verse forty-nine. And someone read that for us. Okay. So Jesus has received this commission from God to go to the earth and to save the world. Uh, through him. And now he's saying, this sending that I've received from the Father, I'm now sending you by the authority of my Father. You stay here until the power comes from on high. What is he talking about there? They they don't know clearly what's going on here. But what do we know that, that he's talking about? The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit would come upon them in great power, he says, stay here in the city until this power comes, and that's exactly what they do. We find them in Acts chapter two, 120 of them meeting in the upper room, probably Mark's uh, house or his parents' house, and and they're meeting there, praying. And this is when the Holy Spirit comes. So you have the Father sending the Son to save the world. The Son sending the Spirit upon the believer, so that so that this message can be sent. And the Spirit then sends the church. In Acts chapter nine, turn there with me. Acts chapter nine, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it continued to increase. So here we find that the Holy Spirit gathers and encourages the church, that He advances the church. We have these... Um, we have these verses like this, like verse 31, kind of a progress report of how the church is doing. And every time it says the Word of God, some something like this, but the Word of God spread rapidly and the Spirit was upon them with great power, or something like that. And the idea is that the Spirit is the one who's sending the church to do this mission that Christ initially had given them to do. And what was that? Remember the end of Luke 24? That repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all the nations starting in Jerusalem. And so it's the Holy Spirit that is the, the immediate agent of that sending for the church. Alright, so in this what we should see is that obviously God is the ultimate sender. That God is ultimately the one who sends us. And the Son obviously sends us. We have that commission in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But the, what I say immediate agent the one directly above us is the spirit who's giving us the authority and power to do this all right then the next part of the chain is the church sending its own people the church sending its own people uh turn over to chapter 13 acts chapter 13 and verse 2 here, Paul and Barnabas are members, apparently, of the church at Antioch. And, and now the leaders of the church and the congregation themselves vote that Paul and Barnabas be sent out. But notice who it ultimately comes from. It is the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we know that this is basically the commissioning service of Paul and Barnabas being sent out from Antioch. Now they go on their first missionary journey. And the point is that this is not something that's done arbitrarily. This is not done just because Paul and Barnabas had a whim and, hey, we want to go do something. It was the church actually sending them out. And and uh, so that's how the chain works. God sends his son. To save the world, the Son sends the Spirit so that the Spirit can work in believers to to spread this message of salvation. And then the 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 church sends its people. Now you uh, you know of the uh, passage in Romans 10, so I won't have you turn there. But the one where it says, "How can they call on Him and who, whom they have not heard? And how can they hear from Him and whom they have not believed? And how can they hear from someone who ha- has if?" Unless someone preaches to them, how can they preach unless they are what sent? So here's that last part of the change that that a person can't just go out as a rogue missionary and just decide, I'm going to go reach people for the sake of Christ. he he how can he go unless he's sent? And that shows us that that the church has a very vital role. We'll get to this here a little bit more uh, uh, explicitly as we move through. But, but you see that the church actually has a role. How can a person go unless he is sent? And that's uh, part of our responsibility. All right? So, what does it mean for a local church to be central to sending missionaries? What does it mean? All right, there are at least four things that, that ought to be a part of us, as a local church, sending missionaries. And the first is evaluation. Evaluation. As a local church involved in the work of missions, we have to take responsibility for evaluating the missionaries and their mission strategy, their philosophy of ministry. We are the ones who are to send them out for the sake of the name, as uh, 3 John talks about. We cannot punt on this responsibility and just hope that some other worthy organization, maybe a church that's providing more support, that they're going to take care of the sending part of it and the evaluating part. That That, if they would evaluate them, we'll just take them on the, on their word. the last missionary that we took on for support, as far as I know, was Tim Richmond, and part of that evaluation process from what I understand is is having him come to speak at our church right we We need to see him see if he is able to handle the Bible well because he's going to be doing that for a living. he's going to be doing that in in a culture that he's not used to. And, um, and so he needs to be able to preach well. And so that's one of the things that we do. We, we ought to evaluate him in that way just by seeing him, interacting with him, asking questions. And that's why we try to make a lot of these times with missionaries very informal. That is, uh, obviously there's a formal time where we have a worship service and they preach. But there's also informal times where we can eat with them over a meal or, or we can talk with them. And uh, I think that's a good thing because part of our responsibility is evaluating Missionaries. The second uh, thing that, that sending missionaries means for a church is teaching and training. I think this is the primary responsibility uh, of us as a church. Remember Jesus' command to us go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything that I've commanded, commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the, the, the age. The the primary responsibility, I would suggest, to train a missionary belongs not to the college, not to the seminary. The primary responsibility to train a missionary belongs to the church. There is nothing unbiblical about delegating that training to a college, but it cannot be done um, without some sort of oversight. That is, to make sure that what is being taught is, is, is right. And that they're actually getting the the types of skills that they need in order to to um, to be able to to handle this this work that they have to do that they've been called to do. And so what I what I'm saying here is that we have to take responsibility for equipping missionaries, particularly ones that are sent out from our church. But I would suggest to you that someone like a Tim Richmond that we we ought to be we ought to be concerned about what kind of teaching and training you know before we send him out. Um, just as an example, uh, and I think he 's a great guy i 'm not trying to pick on him or anything. I think he 's doing a great work there in new york but but we ought to take responsibility for that equipping process so if that means partnering along with some other churches and working through this if it means spending some significant amount of time with these missionaries, making sure that they have the skills and the pastoral qualifications that are necessary then then I think that 's important because um, that authority to teach resides within the church. The third is sending and supporting. It's not enough to make sure that they make the cut. That is not enough to evaluate them. Let's have them fill out a questionnaire. I think those can be helpful. Let's have them speak. Okay, that's the evaluation process. It's not enough just to teach them. We also need to send and support them. We need to make sure that they're they're going to be able to make it out there financially. And certainly as part of that sending and supporting would also include not just financial support but what other kind of support do you suppose prayer okay that we are praying for them recognizing that they're on the front lines of the battlefield of the christian life uh and and they're fighting for the truth and so we need to pray for them we need to pray that god would protect them we need to pray that god would advance his word through them and when we do this we join with them in their persecution as they suffer, we actually share in their suffering because we have supported them. Um, Hebrews 10 talks about this. We, we also share in the blessings that will come as a fruit of their ministry. And missionaries come by all the time and tell us about all the great um, the progress that God has done in their work spiritually. And, and give thanks to us as a church because we have had a part in it. They, they don't... Take that for granted that we are a part of sending and supporting them, and they couldn't do what they're doing without churches back in the States who are helping to support them. And so, this is a very vital uh, role that we have as well. And then, fourthly, overseeing and caring. Overseeing and caring. To send money and to pray is not enough. A missionary, uh, perhaps more than any other Christian worker, can very easily drift. Theologically or spiritually if there is no oversight and caring for them. There's a Baptist missionary uh, who was sent out and supported by many Baptist churches in this area who, after a period of time, turned away from the faith. The churches are the ones who have to make sure that these missionaries are staying on the right track because what can happen with missionaries is they can go out to the field once they've kind of gathered up all their support And they can have people praying for them. They can have people sending them money. And they can even be sending reports back quarterly or monthly about what's happening. But they very well could be on the track towards spiritual destruction. And that's what I'm suggesting. Not suggesting. That's what I'm telling you has happened with this Baptist missionary. And it can happen to any Baptist missionary if we're not working hard to to help support them and to oversee what they're doing. Make sure that, that we're checking up on them. Uh, sometimes it's easy to treat missionaries like like a, one of our creditors. You know, we just send the bill and we're all set. Here's what you need to to do what you do. So just do it. And when you come back to the states, just say hi. We would appreciate that. And that's it. We don't develop relationships with them. And uh, now I think our church is is good at developing relationships with missionaries. And I think there's room for improvement, certainly. But 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 it's easy to treat missionaries like just another third-party uh, subcontractor or something that we can just kind of send the money to and, and you do the work and let us know how it turns out. But, but I, I'm convinced that we need to have personal relationships with these men and with their families. All right, any questions so far on the local church's role in missions? Any comments, concerns? All right, so then if our responsibility is to send and support and to oversee and to evaluate and so on, then what is the role of missions agencies? Uh, should we be even using missions agencies? Uh, what is the role of the mission agencies? Does anyone have any idea what the mission agency actually does? Help me. Jared. Okay, so what kind of, let's, Let's just talk really practical. What kind of things do they coordinate? Okay. 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 There's, yeah, there's initial training, right? We had Dave Hamrick here just uh, this past December, and he. His role as a mission—he's part of a mission agency now. He, his role is to help send out these missionaries and make sure that they're well equipped, uh, coming alongside the church. So, so how should we think about these mission agencies? First of all, we should think of them as not a requirement, but but as permissible means of of organized cooperation among churches. And this is what Jared is is suggesting—that that what we're trying to do is. We're trying to partner up with other churches so that we can get the missionaries to the field and make sure that they have what they need in order to accomplish what they've been called to do. But that's not easy for every church to just do that. If we just thought about the finances alone, if we didn't have a mission agency, we would have to figure out a way to get money to their country in in a different currency, in many cases. Sometimes they have bank accounts here in the States that the money goes there and they sometimes... And then they'll they'll transfer it over to their currency. But but as far as I understand, the mission agencies generally are getting the money to them in their currency. That alone would be a great undertaking for for uh, an average church. And so the the mission agency is a great help to us. And uh, Third John talks about this in verses five through eight. Um, that even though they are strangers to you, they you know about their love, and you will do well to send them out in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they were sent out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that, they, that we may work together with the truth. So one of the ways that we come alongside these missionaries and work together with them for the truth is by just uh, using these mission agencies that they've been a part of. Now, they've, uh, mission agencies have developed over the years and have become great Resources for our church. And that's why I say sometimes it can be easy just to kind of pass the buck and not take responsibility for our missionaries because the mission agency is handling, a lot of times, the training, the evaluating. They have to go through a whole process. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in order for a person to be accepted by a mission board, they have to believe what the doctrinal statement of the mission board. Uh, So that's helpful for us as churches because now we have a general idea based on what mission agency that they are called out of whether they're you know like a king james only mission mission agency or something like that we have an idea of of why they're being sent out what kind of things they believe and so they help coordinate that sort of thing they help coordinate the training and and uh, of course the 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 um sending of funds as well all right but what we should recognize is that the authority of the mission agency is only a delegated authority okay if you remember the, the chain of command, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the church, and then the church is supposed to do what? Send out who? It's people. Anything in there about the mission agency on that chain of command? Do we have anything in the Scriptures about a mission agency? So so again, it's not required, but it is permissible. And what we ought to rec- recognize is in that chain of command, the mission agencies don't have authority. They don't have um, inherent authority based on what the Scriptures teach. They only have what I would call derived authority. Do you understand the difference? That is delegated authority. So, it would be like, um, you know, if if um, Jonathan, my son, doesn't have authority over his sisters, okay? Sometimes he thinks he does, but he doesn't. But if I were to go away, if the two of us were to go away and leave him at the house with the two girls, and hopefully nobody called Child Protective Services on us, but if that, if that were to happen, uh, I would give him derived authority, right? I'm going to give you some authority over these girls of things you can do that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do when I'm there. And this is what we're doing for the mission agency, Okay. They're, they're, they have derived authority. Now they're able to handle some of the things that we're giving them the authority to do. That doesn't take away our authority. We at any time can take that back as a church. Um, but the ultimate authority resides in, obviously, God. But, but I, I would say the immediate authority uh, over the missionary resides in the local church. And so we're giving them derived authority. Um, all right, thirdly... The mission agency is a helpful resource uh, for, again, strategic coordination, uh, field oversight. Many of these mission boards have uh, dedicated field directors who have the responsibility of, of overseeing an entire group of missionaries in a specific field. So, for example, Archie Perez used to be a field director for the Southern Baptist Convention Mission Agency. And he was over I think it was all the churches in Latin America and or maybe it was just Mexico or something like that, but but his responsibility was to go around to each of the Southern Baptist missionaries that were in Mexico or wherever his region was, and he had to just check up on them, just do oversight. how are things going? What can we do for you? What are we missing? What do we need to report back to the churches and And so field oversight is another important thing, again it's something derived from the church now. Ultimately, we need to recognize that, that the, the mission agency is not the one who sends the missionaries. Now, this may seem just like a semantic thing, like, you know, just a technicality. Well, yeah, well, they really effectively do. No, no, they don't send the missionary. Okay? Some mission agencies have become so independent that they just, they'll accept funds from churches, but they're actually the sending agency. What the way that the Scriptures would, would uh, promote sending out missionaries is that is from the church. That is, the church is the sending uh, the, the sending agent, and the mission board is just a a supportive arm of the church. It's it's like what we would see as the Christian school, right? The primary responsibility to raise up children in the way that they should go is the parents and then the church, but we also allow for a Christian school who comes alongside and sees itself as a supportive arm of the church or even of the family we're trying to reinforce the Christian schools would say we're trying to reinforce what you're already teaching your children at home or at church, and that's a good thing and they, again this is a derived authority type of thing so mission boards that are independent, we ought to be leery of we ought to um we ought to give great praise to the ones who, who see themselves as a supportive arm of the church. <clears throat> and so that means that most mission boards, and I would say that all the mission boards that we have missionaries um, that are represented by our missionaries, are servants of the local churches. They're servants of the local churches. Now, I love to listen to Dave Hamrick when he was here in December. I love to give him uh, listen to his report on how they were training missionaries to be sent out to, uh, to the field and he stated more than once uh, at least once when he was speaking publicly and I, maybe another time when when he was speaking to me privately that that his work was one of that is as a part of ABWE his work was one of supportive that that is they're trying to help out what the churches are are responsible to do that we come alongside of churches and help them and so there should be and Based on the missionaries we have, there there is no power struggle between the mission agency and the local churches. The local churches are the authority because they received it from the Holy Spirit to send out these people. The mission agency is simply a supportive, um, supportive organization for it. All right. Any questions on mission agencies? All right, why does it matter? Why does it matter if we're clear on these points? Why doesn't it matter if we just get them to the field? Let's just get people saved. How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news, right? Why why does this matter? Number one, the church is the goal and the means of missions. The church is the goal and the means of missions. Ephesians 3 shows us one one of the great things that God is doing through His church so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church. The rulers and authority. One of the ways, the primary way, I would say, in this age of how God is showing His glory in this world is through the church. And so this is important. You know, all these seeming semantics uh, are important because the church is where God is glorifying Himself. It's through the church. It's not through one individual. It's not through missionaries, as you know, a huge group. It's through the church. And so what we're expecting is that, that the, the church is the sending agency of these missionaries and the church is the goal of these missionaries. The goal of doing missions is not to make a lot of people feel better physically or get better bank accounts in these different parts of the world. The goal is to plant churches. It is to plant churches. Now, there are certainly plenty of other worthy uh, missions roles, but at the center of what missions is, it is to plant churches. And so that's why I say it's the goal of missions. Uh, second reason it matters is because individualism can be problematic. You know, this rogue mentality that I can just go out arbitrarily or apart from anybody's uh, commissioning and just do what I think is best. Uh, this ought, to, this ought to happen through the local church. Acts 15, 24 says, Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we, have, we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. In other words, Paul's saying there are some who are rogues who have come in in your midst and they haven't received any sending uh, authority from anyone and, and now they're causing trouble within your congregation. Watch out for those kind of people. And thirdly, missions is intensely congregational, not just personal. Okay, Just like much of the Christian life, missions is all about the body of Christ. God is most glorified in the local church, not in an individual by himself. Okay, God is most glorified in this age, not through one individual doing great things for God, but through the entire church as it shows love to one another, as it spreads his, his fame, as it seeks to purify itself. All right. It's congregational. Why does all, what does all this look like at our church? What does this look like for our church? If we are have the responsibility of sending missionaries, then I would suggest number one, teaching God's word is our most fundamental missions task. Okay, back to Matthew 28. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. So, how long are we supposed to teach until they understand everything that I've commanded? We got a lot of work to do, right? Even even here at our own church, we got to keep teaching, we got to keep reminding because um, because we forget things or we we think we're set in some ways, and so we just it, it's a continual process of this making disciples. That um, obviously there should be a point where a person can come to maturity and start teaching others, but for the same time, you know, even the, the most godly of, of people within our church still need discipleship, right? We, we're being discipled till our death, effectively, or until the Lord comes. So that means that our primary responsibility is teaching as a church. We need to make the gospel uh, glorious to ourselves, and we need to, to make it glorious to the missionaries that, that we come alongside and, and support and, and help. All right, number two, being a biblical church is the organizational means. It's the means to the end. The goal is to see churches planted. The goal here is to to be a a mature body of believers, and the means to that is by entrusting and training and edifying and sending. All right, so, so we need to work at... Organizing ourselves in such a way that that we are um, that we are consistent with the goal that we have, which is to make disciples of all nations. Number three, desiring to train and equip members intentionally, so instead of instead of after the fact. Uh, Maybe uh, think more carefully about being proactive in training members and equipping members for the work that God will call them to. Uh, instead of waiting till you know they're ready to go out on the field, uh, or at least they, they want to go out on the field, we, we train them in advance. <coughs> and I think that's one of the reasons why I've taken these last four and a half years to work through the material that we're working through here, because this is just a great means of discipleship working through several basic and more advanced issues like we're working through right now so that, so that we can be well-rounded spiritually. As God calls us at some point. Uh, those who have been a part of this, I think, will have received great value. Now, there's certainly more that we can do there in equipping and training, but, but I think we, we're on the right track. Number four, mobilizing members through biblical preaching and missions exposure. Okay, this is what I'm trying to do with um, with organizing a lot of these mission trips and um, trying to, to make more regular contact with our missionaries is to expose our church to the mission field because we want to see people who are sent from our church as missionaries. Um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we think, well, we just don't have the, the human resources to be able to do that. If we lose somebody, you know, particularly it's going to be someone who's godly, mature, and they go out to the field, then we're left with the hole. But but imagine what it would have been like in Antioch when Paul and Barnabas, two of the most godly men, probably the two most godly men, even maybe perhaps more than the pastor, it's hard to know, but are being sent out from, from Antioch. And they recognize that it was the work of the Spirit, and obviously we see the effects of that. That's a good thing. Uh, we ought to to keep working to build up more people, so that as we're training and equipping more people, then then some of these people can go. You know, a lot of times God calls people when they're young, and um, and they they train, they use their college and seminary days to train for the mission field, but but uh, God certainly can call people even when they're older too. We have lots of examples of that even uh, with our missionaries. All right, number five, helping to channel and instruct against individualism. Okay, That's why you constantly hear me talking about a, a, a producer mentality rather than a consumer mentality. Uh, the, the individual, individualistic person is one who's all concerned about me. What, what can the church do for me? And instead, we're, we're trying to, to build a culture here where people are looking to serve other people. That I'm looking out for other people. My primary concern is not me. My primary concern is... The other people in the church, and that's something that we have to model for other people. That's something that we each need to work on our on our own. Number six, training and sending teams. To see the work kind of goes along with with the exposure missions, exposure. But uh, training and sending teams, we don't just okay, let's let's uh, let's go on a trip. We we take a lot of time in advance to work through some of the things that we're going to be expecting, what we're going to be doing what kind of things we should look for in the mission field and what kind of things ought we to be concerned about with regard to our missionaries. Um, and then number next, uh, maintaining theological and pastoral oversight. Okay, this is, goes back to one of our responsibilities um, that that we're actually overseeing what's going on out in the field. Okay, so is Archie doing what is right? Is Is he... Does he have a good philosophy of ministry? Is he sticking to the basic theological truths that truths that we believe in? Is Mike Jewell doing a legitimate work of missions? Is you know Dan Cuthbertson? So these are things that we can do, and it's a lot, it's a lot easier to do when we're actually there. Um, not that we can't do it apart from there, especially with our uh, technological society and the advances that we have. But um, but certainly it is much easier if we can actually be there. And then willing to delegate and trust those who work for us. Um, So that's including the mission agencies. That's including some of the other churches. That's including, I think, even the missionaries themselves. All right, let me conclude with a couple thoughts and then see if you have any questions. First, local churches are central to the New Testament plan, not ancillary not on the outskirts of what God is doing. At the center of what God is doing is He's making local churches and He's using the local church to send out people from its midst. The local church is the sending, the immediate sending agency of a missionary. Then secondly, local churches are conduits of the Great Commissions. They are um, the mediators, we could say, of the Great Commission. So how does God, God's Great Commission or Christ's Great Commission in Matthew 28 Make its way down to real people down here, and the link between those two, the um, the conduit is the local church. We're kind of like the pipeline that gets Christ's commission, and and Christ's gospel, and filters it through down to, to the, um, to the belie- to the unbelievers around the world who need to hear. Number three, local churches are the aim and the means of missions. We already talked about this, okay. The the aim is this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to see local churches established in other places in the world. And the way that that happens is through local churches working together to get those missionaries to be able to do that. And finally, local, local churches are God's means of blessing, to bless in our missionary obedience. So if we have a responsibility to see the repentance and forgiveness of sins preached to all the nations, well, you and I can't do that on our own, can we? I mean, you and I can't just take a world tour and preach repentance and forgiveness of sin to all the nations. We need other people to do it for us, and that's why we have our nine missionaries that we regularly support, and we regularly you know, get involved in their lives, find out what's going on, and, um, and that's how God blesses us. And I look forward to the day when I will meet many of these believers, uh, some of whom I've never met in this lifetime. In in heaven, and and um, and be able to interact with them, uh, it there there will be an instant connection that we have, particularly with the people that we had a part in in helping. It's similar to the the way it is right now. When you go over there and 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 you meet some of these believers, they know where their missionaries get the money from. They get them from supporting churches like you, like ours, and like others. And so, when these supporting churches make an effort to come out there, there is an instant connection because they appreciate the fact that you uh sacrifice so that the gospel can come to them. It's the same way that, that you feel about those who have sacrificed to get the gospel to you and uh and we can have a great part in that. We can advance uh missions and be a part of that blessing. Any questions, comments, Phil yeah. Uh, he's actually turned away from the faith completely, not interested. There, what happened was um, it was discovered about a year before all the churches knew, really. And so he's kind of just keeping quiet, still collecting support. And word got out. I think he started trying to feel some of his supporting churches and things like that. And several of the supporting churches sent, sent uh, representatives over to the field to to talk to him one on one and just talk to him try to reason with them you know do you understand what you're what you're espousing to here and and things like that and he was already convinced in his mind and that's why I say it's it it's a uh, it's a temptation for these guys and these families is that when they're out there they can go for long periods of time if we're not checking up on them overseeing uh it, they could very easily spend a whole long period of time like this like a year and we not even know about it. So we we it's good to have regular contact with with them. And I think it's important, you know, that that come from the members, not just you know, the pastor or missions committee or something like that, whatever a church has. Anything else? All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you uh, for the heritage of our church. Uh, a missionary Baptist church started in the late 30s and <clears throat> with the goal of trying to reach people for the sake of Christ. And Lord, while we no longer have the missionary part in our church's name, we still hold uh, that responsibility very seriously. And we're thankful for the missionaries that we have had the privilege of taking on for support and that, that we now partner with. I'm thankful for the progress that has been made spiritually thankful for the fact that these missionaries are not seeking to cut corners or try to just get big numbers, but are seeking to um, be consistent with your word and, and advance your work there according to your uh, your desires. And we pray that you'd help us to be better partners with them and that we could share in their blessings and share in their afflictions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.